Well, folks, we've been talking a lot lately uh, in our church. I've mentioned a lot about what's going on with missions, haven't I? I've talked a lot about the different trips uh, that are being taken. Well, what's going on in, in this church also is happening in my family. I mean, I've got, uh, I've got Karen, uh, my wife, is going with the team to Nicaragua. My uh, daughter, Amy, is going with the high school to, to Italy. Uh, my son, Colin, is going with the eighth grade team to Boston. And, and then there is my, uh, Randy, you're not, you're not going anywhere this year, are you? Well, you just don't care, do you, son? Uh, there's nowhere for a seventh grader to go. He's going to take care of me, I guess. Uh, and then there's my daughter, Mary Beth. Mary Beth comes home at Thanksgiving this year and uh, says that, that she's been, been, been praying and thinking about something and feels like God's laid something on her heart. She wants to go on a, on a mission trip, a little bit more on a trip. Uh, she's going to be two months in Peru uh, with the International Mission Board in what's, on what's called an extreme team. Now, our youth are right here. Just a little note. When you're trying to get your parents' permission to do something, just leave the word extreme completely out of it. Whatever you're asking, extreme's never going to be a good word for mom and dad to process. And so uh, then the, the next thing, the second word that I think kind of derailed this whole conversation was when she used the word Amazon. Uh, she's going to work up and down the Amazon with tribes, ministering, witnessing the gospel. And all, all I could see was just snakes everywhere. Just, they're just coming out of everywhere, snakes coming out of the trees to get my daughter. And, uh, you know, we're, we're processing all this. And, and all of a sudden, and boy, you see things come around. I mean, parents, we always get even, don't we? Because all I could think about when she was talking about this was, I, I, I mean, I went back over 20 years, 1985, and, and I saw myself standing there having the exact same conversation with my parents, same age, almost the exact same time of year, and, and I was telling my mom and dad I wanted to go minister for the summer and witness in, in what was at that time the Soviet Union. And my parents' response, no, no you're not, <laughs> not, not this summer, not any time. And uh, that's, that's pretty similar to what Mary Beth uh, probably got from us uh, that evening right before we were about to be thankful to the Lord for everything. Um, <laughs> You know, now, you know what was going, what were we concerned about? Yes, one word, safety. You know, I mean, praying about or, or I mean, just worried about and concerned for her safety. That's a, that's a big deal. Now, now we worked through that. We, we prayed through that. And man, the Lord, the Lord confirmed that, that, man, Mary Beth had handled this in a really very biblical, very, very wise thought process. And man, as she continued to explain herself, it was Clear she had prayed through this and, uh, you know, we kind of came to that confirmation and we did need to pray about it. I'm not going to lie to you that, you know, this is what God wanted. And, you know, and I am a firm believer, it, it might be the most dangerous spot on the planet, but if that's where God has you, then it's safe. It's safe there. But, uh, you know, as we, were, as we were working through that, man, we're just, we're just concerned for her safety and, and, and thinking about that. I mean, again, I'm just thinking, even getting on a plane in America by herself, I'm just thinking, man, just, just bad people and bad things and bad snakes and just a lot of bad things that can go bad, you know. And, and, and I'm trying to pray through that and work through that. And, uh, but you know what? Safety is always an issue, isn't it? Even when we're trusting the Lord, safety is always an issue. As a matter of fact, if you're into Psychology 101, you'll remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We've got all kinds of needs we're trying to fulfill in life. From being hungry, man, I'm ready for lunch, 
uh, to me, you know, I'm lonely or I want to be loved and, and those needs that we're trying to fulfill or, or there's those needs for worth and value and importance and being acknowledged. Folks, you can have all kinds of needs that you're working on in life, but the moment somebody sticks a gun in your face and says, give me your wallet, guess how many needs you got? You got one need in that moment. It doesn't matter how hungry you were, how lonely you were, how sad you were. You got no other needs. Safety light starts blinking. That's the one need that exists. Safety's a big deal. We started studying two weeks ago, John chapter 17. This chapter is a, is a prayer, 26 verses long. A prayer that Jesus prays in the upper room. It's the night before he's going to be crucified. And in this, we get a chance. I mean, you know, you know, I'm dying the next day. You're thinking about big stuff, aren't you? You're thinking about the important stuff and what's really meaningful to you. And so when you're looking at an actual prayer, man, we really get insight to, to what was important to Jesus at this moment. What was he thinking about? What was he praying about? And in the first two weeks, the first five verses, we saw that, man, Jesus was thinking about God's glory. And, and he was thinking about your eternal destiny. So what's he thinking about the night before? He's thinking about big things. He's thinking about eternal things. But in verse 6, the prayer starts to shift. The prayer comes down to what you might call the nitty and the gritty. He starts thinking and praying about their safety. The disciples, those men in the room with him. Isn't that incredible? I mean, here he is the night before. The next day, he is going to be violently executed. And he knows that. And what's on his mind? Their safety. Now, what, what would make them safe? Why do they need to be safe? Well, let's look and see what he says. Look with me in John chapter 17. John chapter 17. I'm going to be reading this morning. I don't do this a whole lot, but I'm reading after, out of a different translation. This is the New Living uh, Translation, a, a Bible I really like a lot. Uh, I normally read out of the Holman Christian Standard. That's what we have uh, there in the pulp, I mean, in the in the seats uh, in front of you. As a matter of fact, if you need one somewhere along there, there'll there'll be one. I hope you'll grab one and read along with us. But uh, this is a lengthy passage, and the the New Living is kind of good for reading out loud. It, it really kind of smooths it out. Uh, there's kind of some difficult phrases and words, and this just makes it a little bit easier uh, to read. So I'm going to be reading out of that. And uh, you'll be reading out of yours. I think you'll find it says same thing, but just reads a little smoother. John 17, I'm going to begin in verse 6. It says, I have told these men about you. They were in the world, but then you gave them to me. Actually, they were always yours, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the words that you gave me. And they accepted them and know that I came from you. And they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me. Because they belong to you. And all of them, since they are mine, belong to you. And you have given them back to me. So they are my glory. Now I am departing the world. I am leaving them behind and coming to you. Holy Father, keep them. And care for them, all those you have given me, so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I have kept them safe. I guarded them so that not one was lost, except the one headed for destruction, as the Scriptures foretold. That's a reference to Judas. And now I am coming to you. I have told them many things while I was with them, so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word. 
And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They are not part of this world any more than I am. Make them pure and holy by teaching them your words of truth. As you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world and I give myself entirely to you so they might also be entirely yours. Now a lot there. Man, that's a, that's a beefy part of the prayer, isn't it? A lot going on in that. As a matter of fact, you could do a whole study, maybe a, a couple of studies, just on the relationship between the Father and the Son. Do you, do you hear a lot of that? Going back and forth and how they relate. Uh, but what I'm going to be doing today is kind of staying focused on the idea that this is a prayer. And so what is Jesus praying for? And it's pretty clear He's praying for the care, the, the well-being, the safety Of his disciples. Something's getting ready to change. Tomorrow he's going to leave them. And the disciples, their their faith, their walk with Christ has been really heavily anchored by their ability to actually see Jesus. To physically, bodily to see him. They got their direction. They got their encouragement. They got their faith by actually being able to look at Christ. Now we can understand that, can't we? I I mean, how many times have we thought, gosh... And it would have to be easier to believe if I, if I could see him. Man, if I could just see Jesus, that would, that would make such a difference in our faith. So we understand that need. Jesus understands that need. And Jesus is actually fulfilled and met that need in this way. Remember, we're in the upper room. And that starts back in John 13. Well, a lot of John chapter 14, a lot of John chapter 16 is all about the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, as I ascend up into heaven, the Holy Spirit's ministry is going to begin in your lives. He's going to descend. And actually, God living in you in the Holy Spirit is going to be much more profitable for you in the long run than even my bodily presence here. So Jesus is meeting their need. He's covering his departure by the sending of the Holy Spirit. But he, but he still understands us. He still knows what's coming for the disciples the next day. He knows, man, that's going to be a shock. They're about to have a devastating blow to how their concept of walking with Christ is defined. And he knows that. He understands that. And so he's praying for them. I tell you what, folks, you know, if you don't if you don't get anything else today, man, isn't it kind of encouraging just to know that Jesus knows Knows where you are, knows what your fears are, knows what you're, what you're dealing with. Jesus knows what's coming tomorrow. You know, sometimes we know what's coming tomorrow and we're praying about it. How many of you have ever had a day where you could have said, man, the night before I had no idea this was coming. Didn't even know that I needed to be praying about this. Jesus does. And, and he's praying for you. He's praying for that situation. And that's while, while the prayer here is a prayer that he is specifically praying for those disciples. I mean, it's just as true for us today. Romans chapter 8 verse 34 says Christ Jesus is the one who died. But even more has been raised. And he is at the right hand of God. And what's he doing there? He intercedes. It's another word for praise. You know, I wonder what, what Jesus is doing up there anyway. He is standing at the right hand of God, praying for you. He's praying for your tomorrow. Folks, Jesus knows, He understands, He cares, and He's praying for you. Now, the issue here, while while, while we look at that that physical sight, that's not actually the big issue. 
The big issue is not that they're not going to be able to see Jesus or that we don't get to see Jesus. The big issue is that Jesus is leaving them here. And here is behind enemy lines, folks. He, he is leaving us in the, in the enemy's world. The, world. the enemy here is defined by the world and by the evil one, the devil. And, and you know, when I'm thinking of enemies, when I'm thinking of attack, I'm thinking of hiding. But, but he, look what he prays. He, he prays that we're not removed. He prays that we're, we're staying here. He cares about that, cares about our well-being. But he's saying, you are going to stay. I am leaving you here. Father, don't remove them. Well, wait, wait a minute. Lord, I'd, I'd rather you pray I, I get removed. Right after I pray to receive Christ, could I just go on to heaven and start the good stuff? But he says, no, I am leaving you here on purpose. It is absolute. I mean, it's what we need to hear Jesus saying today. Don't you ever wonder why am I here why am I on this planet? Jesus is saying, I've left you here on purpose. I care about your well-being. I care about your safety. But I have left you here for a purpose. Yes, that enemy is coming after you. And they're going to hate you. You know why they hate us? Because we're like Jesus. Now that, that kind of raises a question, doesn't it? Am I? You know, that's not really the direction of our sermon today or the, or the focus of it, but it's, it's hard to kind of run by a big concept like this and at least not pause for a moment. Because you see, this whole concept of, of being left behind enemy lines, this whole concept of the enemy really kind of defined in, in verse 14 and 16, and, and those three verses are really the crux of the entire prayer. Not, not just what we're looking at today, but all 26 verses. And, and the clear implication, folks, is that our affection for Christ, our likeness to Christ is going to set us at odds with, with the world. It's going to set us at odds with the devil because Jesus was at odds with them. Now, folks, if I'm, if I'm pretty comfortable in the world and if it appears like the world is pretty comfortable with me, and that's a problem, isn't it? Wouldn't that kind of imply that, that either my affection for Christ or or, or, or my likeness to him, it's, it's not showing up. It's not showing up on anybody's radar. That would, that would be a problem. I mean, folks, this reason that God has left us here, that Jesus has left us here behind enemy lines, is, it's, it's not an undercover assignment. We've not left here to, have a, to run a covert operation. We've been left here, I mean, gosh, for lack of a better word, with a bullseye on our back. We've been left here to be very visible and to be seen. Uh, Lord, why? <laughs> why is that, Lord? Remember what we just said? We like to see, don't we? I want to see Jesus. And Jesus knows that, so He has left you and me here so that the world can see Him in us. In us. They're supposed to see His love. In us, they're supposed to see His grace and His forgiveness. In us, they're supposed to see the truth. Why am I here? So that people see Jesus. No other reason. We work, we have a family, we have hobbies. You know why? So that at work and in a family and in hobbies, all of those different places, people have an opportunity to see what Jesus looks like. That's why you've been left here. Now, it, it is behind enemy lines. And that does lead Jesus then to pray about our safety. Now, now, what do we need for our safety? 
Big muscles? A gun? Maybe a fort. Big fort. We all come in here. What, what is he praying for that would make us safe in this world? Well, he prays for three things. Three, three things that I identify. Three things that jump out to me uh, in, in this prayer. Number one, he prays we'll be protected by the name of God. Number two, unity. And number three, truth. Now remember, this prayer is, is in this room. It's, it's in us. It's in the Christian community. This isn't about the world at large and what's going on in the world. This is what he's praying for us in here as a, as a community, as a family. Those three things. Now the name of God. How does the, the name of God protect us? In verse 6, Jesus says, I have revealed the name. I have manifested. I have made known the name to them. In verse 11, he prays, God, protect them by your name. In verse 12, he says, I have protected them by your name. Now, what does the name do for us? How, how's that protecting us? Maybe another way to understand kind of what he's praying for here, substitute the word name with the word character. God, I have revealed your character to them. I, I have protected them. You protect them by your character. You know, you and I have been taught. Remember what Jesus taught us? He said, if you want to get your, your prayers answered, when you pray, pray in the what? Name of Jesus. When I pray in the name of Jesus, I'm praying in the character of Christ. So whether my prayer is 30 seconds long or my prayer is 30 minutes long, when I end that prayer, I'm saying, and God, all this stuff I just prayed, it is in the character of Christ. Amen. Or so be it. Now, we want our prayers to be in the character of Christ, right? And it's kind of hard to pray, and God, kill that man in the character of Christ. Amen. <laughs> that prayer is not in his character, is it? So see, if I want my prayers answered, it, that way I end it kind of all of a sudden reads back into everything I've just prayed and say, hey, is, is, does this fit in? Does what I'm asking for, does it fit inside his character? So now, how does that protect us? Now, when we say the character of Christ, the character of God, we're actually talking about a lot of things. We're talking about his personality. And, and, and God's character is, is one of mercy. It's one of kindness. It's one of wrath. It's one of justice. It's one of love. All of these things are character qualities. And every part of them is, is an umbrella for our protection. I want to show you a really cool passage. Because you're going to get to see how the character of God protects us in the midst of actually fighting evil. Look, look at this. Turn to Romans chapter 12. You're in John. Go to the right. You'll go through John, Acts, and then you'll be in Romans. Romans chapter 12 we're coming back to John 17. Don't lose your spot. I said, well, God, why'd you say that now? I've already lost my spot. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, verse 17. I mean, this, just, this passage just flows right out of what he's praying about here. Romans 12, 17. Never. Gosh, never is a big word, isn't it? I mean, I've got three or four places, Lord. Surely I get some kind of special, you know, permission here. No, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Boy, that's our temptation, isn't it? That's why Jesus is praying about this. I mean, we're, we're tempted. When, when somebody responds to me, I have them tempted to respond in like manner. When somebody hurts me, we have a tendency to kind of want to hurt back. I mean, that, that's, just, that's just something we all, we all struggle with. 
He says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Now, look at that phrase. Everyone can see. Now, this is just a personal problem. I mean, this is, this is just between me and you at work. This is just between me and my, my neighbor. This is just between me and, and, and somebody at school. It's just a one-on-one thing. And yet the instruction is that in the way that I respond, it's honorable to who? Everyone. Remember why we were left here? To be seen. Folks, every conflict you have, Every confrontation you have with evil is an opportunity to look like Christ for everybody who's watching. And you say, well, nobody's really watching this. This is just a one-on-one problem. Folks, everybody, there's always people saying, you've never had a one-on-one problem. Your kids hear you on the phone. They hear what you're talking about when you come home and unload all this on your mate. They know what's going on. You all know what's going on at school. You all know what's going on at work. We're never just doing something that one person sees. Everyone has a chance to see. So man, you know what? When you start thinking about how you're going to respond, think about how it's going to be honorable. It's going to be like Christ for everybody who's watching. That's why you've been been left here. You haven't been left here to get revenge. You've been left here to look like Christ. Do your part, verse 18, do your part to live in peace with everyone. I mean, I, I love God's understanding there. Do your part. I mean, I can't make a relationship peaceful, can you? I mean, if somebody doesn't want to be right with you, they're not not going to be right with you. You can't make them do what they're supposed to do. And guess what? God's not going to hold you accountable for that. You're not held accountable for what the other person is doing wrong. You're held accountable. Did you do your part? Look at that. Do your part to make peace with everyone as much as possible. It's not always possible, but you do your part. Verse 19, dear friends, never. Gosh, I hate that word. I'm getting, I mean, don't you just start to have a problem with the word never? I mean, God, could I have at least three places in life where I can get revenge? I'll use them wisely. <laughs> never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God. For it is written, and I'm reading out of the New Living here, I will take vengeance I like probably the translation you're reading a little bit better. Vengeance is mine. Does your translation say that? Vengeance is mine. It belongs to God. That's His position. That's His authority. That's His task. Folks, do you realize when you've taken revenge, and everybody in this room has, everybody, somewhere, if it's just lashing back at somebody... When you did that, when I did that, we basically said, God, would you just get out of the way right here? I will take your spot and I will decide what needs to be done right here. Folks, that's not a safe position. Do you understand that? As a matter of fact, in that spot right there, your safety issue isn't even a matter at that moment of a problem with the evil one or the world. Your problem's now with God. God doesn't cotton to his position being taken. You understand what I'm saying? It's a good southern phrase. We're in the south, right? Cotton. Okay, God doesn't cotton to that. You're with me? All right. I will take vengeance. I will. Do you hear God saying that? I will repay those who deserve it. Deserve it. So evil comes against you. Evil attacks you. Somebody offends you and hurts you. How am I supposed to respond to that? Where's my protection and my safety? My safety is in trusting in the character of God. God is this character quality. God is just. He makes wrongs right. Nothing skates, folks. 
Nothing's getting away. God makes wrongs right. That's his character. That's his promise. So guess what? I'm freed up from having to get tied up in this mess. I'm freed up of having to go in there and get revenge. I just step back and say, okay, I'm going to rest here under the justice of God and I'm going to trust that he's going to go deal with this. Now, here's our problem. I say, now, God, you're going to, you're going to do that so I get to watch, right? Because I, 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 I want to see him hurt, Lord. I want to, uh, if, it, if they bleed, I'm okay with that. I can handle it. You know, and he doesn't promise us that, does he? He doesn't say, I will repay and man, will you enjoy it? You know, he doesn't say that. That's not a part of the problem. Now, I want to tell you something. Sometimes you do get to see it. I've seen it. I've laid back and trusted in the justice of God. And I have seen some. Matter of fact, a couple of times, it was actually years later. But all of a sudden, I saw what was happening. And you know what I was so thankful for? Man, I'm glad I didn't enjoy the I didn't join the evil one in the sin of that mess. I'm glad I laid back and trusted in the justice of God. I wish I could say that I've done that every time. But I haven't. But you know what? You lay back and you trust his justice will take care of it. Here's the even harder part. Not only do you not always get to see it, he doesn't also promise that it'll even take place in this life. Sometimes he waits to that appointment we were talking about last week. Sometimes he waits to judgment day. But I can rest in his character. I can let go of my anger and and that which is driving me to get even. I can let go of that in the promise that God will make it right. So you see how my faith in the name, in the character of God and letting that guide my decisions keeps me safe. It it protects me. It keeps me out of places that are dangerous because when I'm getting revenge, folks, I'd love to say my anger is righteous. The Bible talks about a righteous anger. I I think maybe I've hit that like once in 45 years. And you're no better. Our our anger, usually all we're doing with our anger is we're just joining the enemy. We're going into his camp. We're handling and living in things his way. We become a part of the problem. And that's not safe. It's not safe. It's hard to let it go, isn't it? That's why Jesus is praying. That's why he's praying for you right now. He knows how difficult that is to let go. But your safety is absolutely tied to your faith in the character of God. And a faith that actually guides how you respond. That guides your decisions. Second thing he prays for here is unity. Now I have to tell you something, folks. I've read this passage and passages like this. I couldn't tell you how many times, years and years and years. And something jumped out at me here that I don't think I'd ever really put together. Because when I think when I think of unity inside the church, I think of, you know, working at getting along. I I think of setting differences aside and keeping focused on the bigger things. Is that kind of how you all think about unity? I mean, I think our church does that good, but that's not what he's talking about here. He says our unity is to look like the unity that the father and the son have. You think the father and son are just getting along? (laughs) You think the father and the son have some differences, but they've set it aside for the more important stuff? Man, what Jesus is praying for here, folks, is a little bit bigger than just getting along. He is praying that, that you and I, and this is in here, this is, again, this isn't about the, the world and everything going on there. This is in here that as we relate, there is a love, there is a support, there is an encouragement that, that rises above getting along where we really can come alongside each other. That too's hard, isn't it? That's why he's praying. You know, think of when he's praying this. 
He's going to the cross tomorrow. And I, I don't know that this is what he's thinking, but it's hard for me not to imagine this way. I wonder if he's thinking, you know, Father, I'm going to go pay a horrible price for their forgiveness on the cross tomorrow. And I wonder if they're going to forgive each other. Father, I'm, I'm going to pay a horrible price tomorrow so that they can formally, legally be adopted as your child. Literally be a son of God, a daughter of God. I wonder if they'll love and respect each other as brother and sister. I wonder if they'll have the same kind of concern for each other that a, that a brother and a sister, that family ought to have. I mean, folks, this is, remember, this, this started in the upper room. He's back, remember John 13? And, and he's talking about how we have to love one another. And that's how a watching world out there is going to know we're his followers. Remember, we've been left here to be seen. How do they see us? How do they know we belong to him? By our love, not by our buildings. They don't know we we're, belong to him by our worship. They don't know we belong to Him by our good deeds. All of those things are important, by the way. They all play a part of the Christian life. But the distinguishing mark that we belong to Christ is the way we love and care for each other. This is a lot bigger than getting along. This is a lot bigger than just setting differences aside. As important as that is, but it's bigger than that. Setting differences aside and, and, and focusing on what we, what we have together. It, it, it's bigger than that. And here's why. Here's what I got to. Here's what's never happening inside the relationship between the father and son. You and I outwardly can be getting along, can't we? Outwardly, we can be unified. But inside, we're brewing. And that's dangerous. When we are brewing on the inside... That is a very unsafe place. As a matter of fact, the scripture teaches, Ephesians chapter 4 teaches, that when we're in that position, our life is never at any other time more wide open to the devil, to the evil one, than in that moment that we're brewing inside. And that just naturally happens. We get that brewing going, and when you're there, the enemy's got you. He has the greatest freedom to come in your life and accomplish the enemy's purposes, not God's purposes. You're not left here to accomplish the enemy's purposes. You're left here to accomplish his purposes. So that's a dangerous spot. Folks, just the fact that Jesus is praying for this, it seems to me, ought to send me to my knees in prayer. God, would you, would you make me sensitive? Would you make me aware uh, of actions, of, of attitudes, of words in my life that are divisive? God, would you motivate me? I can go all amounts, huge amounts of time without even thinking and caring about people. Would you motivate me to love? Would you open my eyes to see? Would you help me to do more than get along? God, help me to see what you see that will help me to come alongside and actually support and encourage and love. Folks, our well-being, our safety behind enemy lines is totally dependent on you and I doing this. And when I say you and I, I mean all of us. This isn't the pastor's responsibility or, or the guys we come up here and pray over. That's their responsibility. It, it, that's every one of us. The, the one of you in here that comes, you know, about every third week. Guess what? You too will stand before God and you'll answer for the role you played, the responsibility you filled in making this a healthy body. 
A body where we love and serve and care for one another. You know, when we're committed to this, we also have to be aware, you know what, we're not always going to get along, are we? I mean, you know, sometimes we are going to offend each other. Sometimes, gosh, I pray it's a precious few. Sometimes we're even going to come to a disagreement. You know what, we're not we're not going to come to an answer. We're not going to come to a resolution. We, we, We may even get to a place where it's just it's harder than just we're going to agree to disagree. We have to part company. Now, when we do that, what I have to do based on what my, on my safety, on what Christ wants for me, man, I have to I have to turn to God's word. And I have to, first of all, say, God, God, would you let your word convict me and guide me and my feelings? Isn't it amazing how often we pray about our enemies and what needs to change in them? Maybe something and they may be 100 percent wrong. But maybe still the change needs to begin. God, would you convict my attitudes and my actions? And then I start to look to God's word to guide on what confrontation looks like. I mean, confrontation does need to happen sometimes. But God's word shows how it's to happen. And sometimes we disagree. To the point that we part company. Then I look to God's word to show me how can I do that so that at the end of that there's peace. I don't leave with a brewing inside. I don't leave where I've got to go out and talk and, 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 and tell everybody why I'm right and why I'm doing this. There's peace. We look to God's word for that. Folks, all this looking into God's word, by the way, kind of leads us to the third and last thing that Jesus kind of prays for here. Folks, we need his truth. We need his word for our safety. Jesus says here, and I may talk about this word, word. The word, word... Uh, is used a number of times here, and it's a very significant word. Are you saying with me? It's a very significant word in the Gospel of John. And the word, word, uh, and maybe I'll tell you this, the word in the Greek language is logos, so I can quit saying the word, word. Uh, The word logos has the idea of content, has the idea of revelation. And in John, and really throughout the Bible, Uh, It's two sides of the same coin. It's two different things. There is the living logos, the living word. That's Jesus. Then there is the written logos, the written word. That's what we call the Bible. Both the written word and the living word are the revelation of Christ. They're the revelation of God. We are protected in this revelation. And we see in verse eight what it looks like to receive Christ, what it looks like to receive the written word, his word that he has given us. And we see in the disciples three words. It says they're received, knew and believed. Three different words. Receive means just that they received him. They received his word into their life. Something got going there. A lot of people heard Jesus word. They were entertained by it. They debated it. They talked about it, but they didn't really receive it. It didn't really become a part of them. But once for those who it did, for these disciples that received it, then they moved to knowing. It's talking about a relationship. Actually knowing and relating with Christ. Actually knowing and relating with the Bible. And you build a relationship. Man, you ask questions. You dig a little bit deeper. You want to know a little bit more. And and, and you're doing all that. You begin to apply it to your life. And then they believed. I think it's interesting that believed came last. I I would have thought believed came first. Well, you've got to believe it to receive it you got to believe it to, to study it and apply it. But then I realized, you know, we really do, compared to the Bible, I think, and I don't know if this is true around the world, but I think in American Christianity, we really have a very watered-down understanding of the word belief. You, you know, I think in our concept, belief 
is a, I mean, it's very little more than just kind of a, you know, a thumbs up. Yeah, man, thumbs up. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Absolutely. Absolutely. My grandma believed he was the Son of God. I live in the South. Man, yeah, you got to believe in something. And that's what belief is for a lot of us. Yes, I, I give some form of mental acknowledgement. Man, I don't have anything else to believe in. That Jesus is the Son of God. I, I give some form of mental acknowledgement. Yeah, you know, the Bible, it seems as good as anything. Yeah, it seems pretty smart. Yeah, I believe in this. But where does that mental acknowledgement go? You, you, you see, the, the biblical word belief isn't something that just happens up here or in the, in the thumping of our heart. It actually comes out and bears life. It, it actually it bears fruit. We've been talking a lot about e- enemies this morning. Jesus said, love your enemy. Now, if I believe in Jesus and I believe in his word, if I believe in the living word and I believe in the written word, then I'm going to say, man, okay, I've got to love my enemy. God, who's my enemy? Who, who am I offended by? Who am I hurting with right now? Who, who, who am I struggling with? God, would you show me how I can meet a need in them? How I can love them today? And folks, this becomes the whole character of our life. I think sometimes what I'd like to do is say, okay, Jesus has told me to love my enemy. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick out one enemy in my life and I'm going to send him a kind note and then I'm done. I can check that command off. I'm done for the rest of life loving my enemy. No, folks, this is an ongoing thing. If you believe it, then you're actually doing it. Do you get the connection between believing and doing? If your belief is just something that happens up here, but doesn't actually show up in your marriage, doesn't show up in your decisions, doesn't show up in how you entertain, doesn't show up in how you handle yourself at work, doesn't show up in your finances. You know, I think of what James told us. He said, receive The implanted word. Folks, that word receive, we just saw that with the disciples. That implanted, that's that knowing. It's growing, it's taking life. Receive the implanted word. Man, that thing can save you. It can keep you what? Safe. But, be doers, not just hearers, unless what? You deceive yourself. Folks, I think we have an epidemic of deception In the American church. I think there are a lot of people walking around with a security. And I'm okay. Yeah, I believe. I I believe Jesus is the son of God. I believe the Bible and the I believe the cross. Folks, that's my story. When I was saved, it wasn't a changing of what I believed. I would have said I believed all that stuff. But it had no impact on a single area of my life. It was all something I gave mental credit to, but it never came out and lived anywhere. And I walked around feeling like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm good. James says, Randy, you're deceiving yourself. That's not what belief looks like. Folks, God, Jesus gave us this book for our protection. It protects me. The words in this book protect me spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally. My well-being and protection is inside this book. You know why God said don't lie? Man, you're living behind enemy lines. It's dangerous. And lying will put you in a dangerous spot. It'll put you in an unsafe place. 
You know what God says in this book? Sex is an incredible thing. An incredible gift that God has given for one man and one woman inside the formal legal declaration of marriage. And only there. Any other form, any other way outside of that is dangerous. And I can't help but believe, my gosh, folks, is not our culture and world giving us evidence of that danger every single day? The evidence is there. This is for your protection. God didn't say, now listen, I've created these fools. And I guess some of them should come to heaven. I tell you what, let's make up a bunch of rules. And if they can keep, oh, I don't know, what do you think, Holy Spirit? 75%? If they can keep 75% of them, we'll let them in. That's not what this book is. It's for your safety. It's for your well-being. Our safety is found in our faith, in the character, the name of God. Our safety is found in how we love each other, care for each other, build each other. Our safety is found by our diligence with this book. That's what Jesus was thinking about right before he died. That's what he was praying about for you. I'm I'm guessing that was important to him. I I guess that implies it should be important to me. Are are these the kinds of things we're thinking? When I'm thinking about my safety in this world, am I thinking about those things? When I am thinking about why God has left me here, why God has me here, what's my purpose in this world, am I I thinking about any of this? Do I think about, hey, what are the attributes of God? What are His character qualities? Do I know them? Could could I put a verse with with each characteristic so so that, that, man, when the evil is attacking, I can run to a verse, I can run to a character quality and, and put that safety over myself and know how to respond? You know, my, do I think about the body in here? Do I, do I even care how we all get along? I came in here to church this morning. I'm going back to the car. <laughs> do I come in here and look around and say, man, you know what? God's called me to care for all these people, to love them. Where, where I see a need, meet it. Where I can bless, bless. Where I can encourage, encourage, build this thing up. Am I comfortable with gossip? Am I comfortable with bitterness and anger? Am I comfortable with with people being divided or being a part of people being divided? Man, do I find myself wanting to get in this book more and more every year? Am I growing more in love with it? Am I obeying it more and more? Are we thinking these kinds of questions? Jesus was. That's what he was praying for you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for praying for me. I'm I'm really grateful that you pray for me because, Lord, I pray a lot of things in ignorance. And I'm just really excited to think that at least one person is praying for me that's never praying in ignorance. You always know perfectly how to pray. And Jesus, thank you for giving me some insight into the kinds of things that you're praying for. I'm sorry that I don't 
I don't always give a lot of thought to what you give a lot of thought to. I don't know that I'm giving a lot of thought to what you thought was important enough that as you're literally looking at your death, this is what you were praying about. God, as I go into this week, may I start seeing things a little bit differently? When I start thinking about what I want in my life and what I'm praying for in my life and how I'm going to handle this problem in this situation, maybe I'll just stop and think, now what would Jesus pray for right here? Help me to do that. I'm not good at it, Lord, and you know that. Uh, I'm sure I'm grateful for your patience. I'm really grateful for your forgiveness. But I, I don't... I, I don't want to keep having to come to that. I want to, I want to actually grab a hold of what, of what you want me to grab a hold of. Do what you want me to do. May I use your grace and forgiveness to drive me to thankfulness when I trip. But I pray I don't ever use your grace and forgiveness to just not care. I ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.